Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week I have the pleasure of being joined with Faisal Kotikolan, the founder and chairman of Kef Holdings. Since establishing Kef Holdings uh, with the mission to be different and make a difference, Faisal, the founder and chairman, has received widespread recognition for the major impact he has made across various industries. He has been named one of the top 100 Indian business leaders in the Arab world by Forbes, Middle East, and also one of the 20 most influential Indian leaders in the Gulf uh, by Construction Week. Uh, today, we'll discuss uh, the story of KEF Holdings, uh, a move into healthcare, uh, and talk about KEF Connect. Uh, good afternoon, Faisal. Good afternoon, Richard. How are you? I'm very good. Uh, thank you for joining us. I, I know that you're a very busy morning and you're busy, so appreciate your time. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So, yeah, so um, can you just give us a little bit of a background into the length and breadth of, of the group and uh, the backstory, please? Sure. So, uh, as Richard mentioned, that, that I was born in India, but uh, left India when I was 18 years old to the United States. Uh, so I did my all my education over there, higher education, uh, done two master's degree in uh, engineering and management. And I was working over there in a, in a industrial engineering factory, a, a company called Indectotherm, uh, who manufacture furnaces for the uh, worldwide uh, metallurgy businesses. So that's been my background. Uh, came back to India uh, in 1992, October, uh, to get married. As, as you all know that uh, in India, we have arranged marriage, so I need to come and find a girl. I've been chosen by my parents, so that's the reason I came down got married, worked with my family business for a couple of years, moved uh, to Dubai for a holiday, came with my wife and one year daughter, and uh, something struck me over the holiday and said, you know, this is my place to be in. So uh, my journey started with that. It is uh, a holiday trip. Now it's been 25 years of holiday uh, in this great <laughs> country. You know, I love UAE. And I built my businesses from scratch with the five thousand um, dollar. You know, at that time it was close to twenty thousand dirhams, uh, and my knowledge. You know, so I was fortunate to create one of the world's largest and the most technologically advanced valve manufacturing facility in the region. Uh, it has changed hands to multiple people now. Uh, story was uh, ninety-seven. I started that, and eventually the company was exited for a four hundred million U.S. dollars. Um, to a U.S. Uh, conglomerate called Tyco, because they love the technology what I built in in this part of the world, wow. and now it's owned by a company called Emerson, uh, and that is how I created my wealth through the knowledge. And, and I always believed uh, it's a great place to set up a manufacturing base for the world. Uh, uh, everybody was against that uh, thought process, saying that Dubai is all about uh, tourism and trading. Uh, it's not meant for the manufacturing. So I like to change the perception of the people by really executing things on the ground and demonstrating it. So it took 12 years for me to demonstrate, to create a, 
a world-renowned organization in this part of the world. Uh, it's owned by MSN now. Uh, the company is renamed in our name for the good work what we have done, uh, in my name and my wife's name. And the main purpose was you know, also to show to the world uh, creating business is not just to make money. You know, it is to create value. And that's what our tagline is, be different to make a difference. The 2006, when we started to make a lot of money, we said, let us give back this money to our employees who worked very hard and stood by me with my vision. So the community center, what we created, is called ETC Community Center. It's one of a kind in the region. Uh, the idea was, how do we educate these workforces who come to different corners of the world uh, on a 45 minutes, full-time, full-day work? Mm. Uh, they have to come into the community center. And also to relax, you know, so we had three gyms, uh, we have yoga facilities, or we had indoor basketball and volleyball courts. And also we provided all the three meals free of cost, you know, mm -hmm. like a five-star hotel. We spent $5 million at that time. Wow. Uh, everybody was surprised to see that. And that really created uh, a goodwill, not just for uh, our own company, also for the entire Umbria Free Zone in Sharjah. And many people have replicated this model into their businesses. So that is something uh, which we love to do because we say, you know, we need to give back what we know mm. to the world so that the world will become a better place. So that got me into full-time philanthropy. Uh, me and my wife started wow. our foundation in 2007. And today we give our knowledge to the government schools across the world, mainly on the emerging world. Uh, as of now, our foundation has helped to build 151 schools. Wow. Uh, and, and all of these schools are much better than a private school today. Uh, it's run by the government. It's free education. You know, it's meant for below poverty kids. But today, most of the schools has got a huge rush to get admissions. So all the rich people, kids also wanted to study in that school. Mm. Uh, just to share the glad news, good news. Yesterday, uh, one of the first schools which we started as a pilot and a model is rated number three in the whole of the country in India. Amazing. Out of 1.2 million government school, uh, it was officially published last night. You know, I got a news link saying that Narakav School, uh, which was initiated and funded by the foundation, has become top three in the country. Amazing. Uh, you know, out of 1.2 million government schools. So, so this is the way we try to create an impact. Uh, uh, the company's vision is that. You know, more than the money is how do we combine money and knowledge to create larger impacts. So that got me into a new business idea uh, because that school was built in 95 days using a prefab technology. Amazing. So we, we developed a concept called manufacturing buildings. Uh, you know, how do we manufacture a school? How do we manufacture a hospital? How do we manufacture a, a hotel? Uh, using robotics, you know, design and robotics. So we work with a U.S. company called uh, AutoCAD. And from the design, you deliver this design to uh, various factories in concrete, wood, aluminum, glass. Uh, and it's run like an assembly line, right? like a car industry. You know? and, and every component is manufactured simultaneously. And you bring it like a Lego to the construction site where you make the foundation. And above the foundation, everything is like a Lego blocks. Right? So, so we could really build a hospital in less than 12 months, schools in three to six months, the large commercial buildings again in 12 months. So it really created a revolution in, the, in India mm. in 2014. Uh, company really grew oh, like a rocket. 
uh, we, we grew 100% year on year. And 2018, there was a lot of interest from the US market uh, from Silicon Valley to learn about this technology and take it to the world. Mm. So we did a merger with a company called Katera, which is funded by SoftBank wow. in 2018. So our technology has moved to Saudi Arabia now. We have five factories there. We build every day 10 houses. You know, we have 15,000 houses contract from Ministry of Health, uh, Housing ah. in, in, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, the technology has gone to the U.S. now, so we have multiple factories running in U.S., and also a lot of European countries wanted to have this technology. The idea was, you know, is, is eliminating the waste in the whole process uh, by integrating all the activities, you know, under one group, you know, so that is my expertise as an in industrial engineering, mm. because today uh, we are living in a world of surplus, you know, we everything is a surplus, and that's what if this pandemic has shown to all of us, you know, we don't have, in, have the, uh, you know, runway to even manage one month. You know, most of the companies did not have the salaries uh, to pay to their employees. And, and that shows that, you know, how weak is the system is, you know, and, and how inefficient our system is. And that's what I always tell to the world. You know, we need to relook really at the way, you know, how we do businesses. Mm. You know? So that is my passion. Uh, so that happened. And the last operating business we have is healthcare. Yeah. We are disrupting healthcare now. Uh, we say that healthcare is not accessible to everybody. It is only accessible to a, a small percentage of the population in the world. Mm. It's becoming very, very expensive. Uh, people are finding it difficult uh, even to go to a, a good hospital. Uh, one is the, the waiting times. Uh, it's expensive. Insurance premium is high. Now we are bringing technology into hospitals and saying that, you know, in the olden times, people never came to the hospital. The care went to their home. Okay. So that's something which we are doing now. Again, it started in India. We want to take it to the world. We've been working for the last three years. And that is going to revolutionize healthcare, you know, going forward. So, so these are the three uh, verticals I've been involved with. And, and, and I've been very blessed and lucky that I could do something. Wow. What a story. Uh, thank you for sharing us in detail. Uh, and you touched on lots of emerging trends, uh, different sectors, different verticals. And it's always interesting to hear uh, how someone with an engineering, engineering mind and mechanical engineering applies that to business decision making. But just to take a, a step back, uh, when you, you obviously uh, were exposed to the, the U.S. market and the, you know, the American dream and the mindset there, um, what attracted you to Dubai and the UAE in the 90s? How, why did you choose that here over the US and, and even over India? So, so, so I, I had a very, uh, you know, we, in India we call it cushy job, you know, it's a happy job uh, in the US. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I was driving a beautiful car, I had my own house at the age of 27, 28. And I said, you know, what am I doing in my life? Am I making any difference to people's lives, correct? Because U.S. is a rich country. Again, it's a country of surplus, correct? I mean, uh, everyone is happy over there. I said, you know, the whole world is struggling. You know? and, and that is where a call came in and said, listen, I don't feel happy inside. You know, even though I had all the luxury in the world to offer, Mentally, you know, I was asking this question all the time, you know, I, how I can be a help to others. Mm. And I think that drove me back, you know, that drove me back to give my knowledge to the countries uh, which 
needs help, which needs you know so much of work to do to make sure that lives of the people are better. And that is what got me back into India, you know, and I worked with my family businesses. And when I came to UAE, it's an open ground, correct? It was only a desert at that time. Mm. Uh, there was nothing like what you see now. And I said, wow, I mean, this country has got a lot of wealth. Oil and gas is a GDP, but nothing is manufactured over here. Everything is imported. And I told myself it's not sustainable on a longer period of time. You know, and that is where I saw the opportunity uh, to... Uh, you know, take a shot uh, on, with my knowledge uh, and build all these things over here. Was it hard to convince other people, whether it was people to work with you, partners, family, uh, investors? Was it hard to, obviously the leadership here had the vision, but sometimes uh, uh, people don't see the same vision as an entrepreneur. So, And you mentioned yeah. um, it, it took some time to m- mask great wealth or great success. Was it difficult the first 10 years? Absolutely. You know, the most difficult time was the first five years, Mm -hmm. maybe seven years, I would say, 95 to 2002, because nobody will believe in you, correct? That's number one, because nobody ever thought of manufacturing a valve in this part of the world. Everything was imported from US, Germany, France, Italy, you know, and the Western world. And, and convincing uh, even to get uh, financing from the bank was very difficult because nobody understands you know, what it's always about. Um, so I need to go step by step. You know? So I was started as a scrap business. You know? I, I found that a lot of scrap available for the foundry businesses and, and a lot of silica sand was available in the region. So I said two important raw materials was available over here. And there was a re- recent utilities available also in 95, 96, 97. So I need to really start very small as a scrap company. Two years, I built that business, went into a smaller research facility in Ajman, built that R&D, and I brought people to the factory to show the research, Mm. how it is possible. Then 2000, I think people were convinced that, you know, because of my determination. So any leadership, you know, you are always lonely at the top. You know, I always say this, you know, because very few people believe uh, in your imagination because basically we're all dreamers. You know, we, we dream every day. You know, we wanted to find solutions to problems uh, and you need to you know, believe in your guts and, you know, take a calculative step one by one uh, and convince people. So it took seven years for me to convince. Uh, after that, you know, everybody appreciates you. Uh, uh, today morning, I was with a very, very important VVIP uh, in the country. And uh, you can't be, I always carry my album of my life, you know, how uh, from scrap to success, it's called. Wow. And uh, yeah, people appreciate it. You know, people, uh, what people loves it is, it's really given the confidence to this part of the world that things can be done over here. Interesting. So that's what I think. And, and your business plan then, do you approach things differently at, at when, the, when the, you know, uh, when the opportunity is different? For example, uh, you touched on the manufacturing, the trends in prefab uh, construction at the moment. But going back then, it might have been uh, looking at what's what's the global, what's the market opportunity for manufacturing valves and the manufacturing industry. Do you approach things differently, or how? What is your thought process on creating a business unit? So you know, I look at uh, you know the real problem on the ground. You know, always being an industrial engineer. It's all about time and motion study. 
okay. right? and, and, and solution to a problem. So uh, the whole world was moving towards outsourcing, you know, in the 90s, you know, and Americans were shutting down all their factories and moving into China. Same thing in the case of uh, UK, uh, France, everybody didn't want to produce anything, you know. So I was very much worried and against it. You know, I said, listen, these countries will suffer, you know, for the next generation, because it's very difficult to move away from production to just a service industry. Uh, and I said, it's not the way to do it. You know, I was very convinced to myself that it's not, that's the wrong approach. And, and you can see that now the uh, uh, world is struggling because everything is dependent on one country, which is China. Right? Mm. So, so I said, you know, uh, you have to produce everything what is required for the local markets. Right? So, and I use integration as the tool. You know, I said, why not produce everything under one roof? You mm. know, and you bring in technology and make it more efficient. So that you eliminate the waste, you are in control of your production processes so that the customer can come and see the quality, you know, what he's been, you know, asking for, you know, and today, uh, 90s, it's very difficult because the valve industry was so scattered, design is done in Germany or America, the, the patents are made in India or China, the machining is done in Poland, and all the components are going back into US or Germany to assemble it and comes back into Middle East countries. Mm. So, so it is going a round trip around the world, and you can imagine the cost involved and the time involved because time is money. And that was my simple theory. You know, it, it's something is not adding up here. Mm. You know, something is not right. Correct. So I just reversed everything and I said, let me try step by step and make everything under one roof. You know. So just to give you an example, uh, my cost was forty percent cheaper than my the least com uh, my competitor forty percent. And the, the time taken to deliver a valve into the oil and gas plant is, was 24 weeks at that time. And I used to deliver to Saudi Aramco and Adnoc and other companies in four weeks. Wow. Right? So, so four weeks to 24 weeks is a huge difference. Amazing, so, amazing. so initially people don't believe you, but I just somehow dragged them to see my factory. And I had a buggy. And I go around <laughs> the buggy to a so one million square foot and I'll show them how the process has been done. So... So I think it took a while for people to believe that it's possible and why I'm doing it differently. And also always, you know, seeing is believing. So when you see a product which is very high quality, price is 40% cheaper and delivery is, in, you know, in four weeks against 24 weeks. Mm. I mean, it sells by itself. Correct? So, so that is my model. I always believe that you need to be honest first. You, you, know, you need to have a high level of integrity in business and you should have the knowledge with you, then you have to sell that knowledge uh, mm. by communicating directly to the market. It's a fascinating story. A lot of, there's a, you know, a theme or maybe a myth as you, as you might, uh, as you've proven it wrong, that manufacturing in the UAE might be more expensive than uh, China or India or uh, sub-Asian uh, countries. Uh, what is your view on that? And how were you able to make it uh, forty percent uh, more, if cheaper margin-wise. So, so as I said, everything we, we live in a very you know mystified world. You know, it, it's a perception, uh, and uh, I proved it wrong because when I was the you know the highest quality in the world by two thousand and seven, you know, I used to compare uh, my quality with Germans, uh, and that is where my benchmark was. And my comparison on the cost was China at that time mm. you know, in 2006, 7. So, and I could achieve this, you know, okay. and I was, that's what my company 
uh, was sold for 400 million dollars at that time on a cash deal. Wow. This company was always cash deal because we used to have a net margin of 28 percent for a 200 million dollar revenue by 2007. You know, and everything is organically grown because I didn't have a competition. Because you know, when you have this powerful uh, combination of German quality at a Chinese cost, you define the price. Mm. You, know, you determine the price to the different countries. So we were exporting to. 35 countries of products from Australia to Canada, to US, to all the European countries, India. Mm. Even India used to import our valves. So, so it, it, I think UAE is the best place to be in the manufacturing businesses because of the location. And that was my advantage. You know, We have the most efficient seaport in the world here, uh, the most efficient airline in the world. You can get your customers you know, within a few hours from any corner of the world. Mm. So I use that uh, you know, as a strong uh, logistic base over here. And I used to get the efficient workers from India, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Nepal, Europe. All my managerial top technologies were coming from Germany and France and England. Uh, and even I had a few Americans working for me at that time. Mm. Uh, so, so it is a melting pot, correct? And it's a a great, great country to live here. Wow. Um, the infrastructure is great. So I, I still believe, I always ask, you know, to the authorities, why not manufacture a car in this part of the world? Yeah, you know, because, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. It's possible, you know, yeah. and I'm a, still a believer in that. You know, UAE can be very, very competitive. Uh, and that is something which, you know, through this media, I, I would like to really, really tell to the authorities and the people, if you do it differently, you know, if you integrate the processes, UAE is very, very competitive in manufacturing. It's so interesting to hear. You must have seen the financial crisis coming in 2008 by making an exit in 2007. You must have predicted the future. That, that was... Uh, no, we did not exit in 2008. No, oh, 2008 was the Dubai Holdings came in uh, and took an equity of 45%. Uh, see, none of the recession really hurted the company okay. you know, because we grew we grew in the recession. Uh, the valuation went up uh, in 2009-11 by 25%. So the value of the company was $300 million in 2008. Uh, 2011, the valuation went up to $400 million. And I think 2012, uh, it's gone much beyond that. I don't know the value of what Tyco sold it to Pentair. It's much higher than what I sold to them. So the journey of this company is very, very interesting, mm. you know, because when you have a, a robust foundation, you know, no recession can hit you. Okay. You see? So this is what I say, you know, today uh, the companies can't even survive for one month. You know, that means fundamentally the business model is flawed. Okay. Right? Something is wrong with your fund fundings. So, uh, and, and, and that's what I've proven here, you know, I mean, if you integrate and bring in efficiency in your process and, and top it up with the technology, you know, which is available uh, in the market, uh, you cannot go wrong. Okay, fascinating. Um, but what's your view on sort of selling and exiting and, you know, as opposed to uh, listing on the stock market and venture capital? Has your view changed over time? And what would your advice be to uh, people starting, say, in the manufacturing or construction industries now? So I think the you know when I uh, I, I ran my businesses um, you know that time private equity was in the nascent stage mm. you know, it was mostly existing in 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 America and mainly from Silicon Valley but this part of the world was very difficult to raise money 
Uh, those things have changed uh, since 2011-12. A lot of uh, foreign private equity companies have come in from Singapore, uh, from Norway, from US. Uh, and I think the model is moving towards private equity right? because of uh, the, the money is available with the 1% of the population of the world. Right? Uh, if you ask me, uh, do you agree to that? I don't. Correct. I think money should be distributed more evenly uh, into the market. Uh, so I think is nothing right and wrong in this, uh, you know, because you, any businessman who wants to do a business needs capital, uh, and capital should be accessible in different forms. It could be through banking channels. It could be from venture funds. It could be private equity. So uh, our own company, which is Kef Investments, uh, also uh, is into private equity and uh, venture funding. Uh, we wanted to encourage uh, people to do businesses in this part of the world. So we are just starting a new venture fund soon wow. um, to attract more youngsters to uh, come in and do manufacturing in this part of the world. Interesting. We spoke yesterday to the chairman and founder of Danube Group, and their approach to India is a little bit different to you in terms of uh, going in step by step. So a little bit first. Whereas you mentioned with the construction and prefab business that you've started in India and it's growing really well. Uh, do you think uh, there's different approaches to different markets? Yes, definitely. Because, you know, uh, as we all know that India is a large market, but it is not an easy market correct? because we have a lot of regulatory issues, uh, you know, labor laws. Uh, and, you know, every state is a country in India because we have 1.3 billion people. So I think any new place you go to, uh, you need to have a real study done first. You know, you need to see where is the gap is, you know, and, and that is where we do because today uh, engineering application, you know, in business decision-making is the key. Mm -hmm. You need to have a, a logical mind uh, to analyze the problems on the ground and take decisions. So I found India... It's got tremendous opportunity for the future, for the world market. Uh, everything needs to be produced. I think the, the, the conventional industries, which is existing now, uh, has to be upgraded, correct? That's an opportunity we saw. For example, now, to build a school, it takes two to three years. To build a hospital, it takes five years, even today. We changed that because we're the first people to think, why five years? You know, okay. Why not in one year? You know, why take two years for a school? Mm. Why not in three months to six months, correct? If you see UAE, I mean, the bridges happens in a few months, correct? If you go to India, it takes 10 years, correct? Okay. So, so it is how you approach the problem, uh, you know, and find a solution. That's where the opportunity comes in. So uh, Africa is a different, different landscape. You know, you, uh, you will have different other issues in the African market. Mm. But the fundamentals of efficiency by studying the time and motion you know is key for every every country mm. you know we need to eliminate waste you know we need to bring in efficiency by integrating the processes and that can apply to united states to uk to germany to middle east to india those are same except the regulation issues labor law issues are different from country to country amazing so, yeah. regarding healthcare uh, you know there might be trends in health tech and People might look at data and apps and different ways of making decisions and providing medical advice. Uh, how come you disrupt it? You're looking to disrupt it from a manufacturing point of view and changing 
the behavior around hospitals? And do you think uh, the global pandemic uh, has accelerated the need for the solution that you're providing? Absolutely. Uh, so if you're really, you know, healthcare was one of the legacy industry which didn't want to change, correct? Everybody, you know, build hospitals after hospitals uh, and, and building a hospital is the most expensive real estate, you know, in the world. And, and, and we did a study and when I decided to build a hospital, uh, I went to Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, uh, in Cleveland, US, yeah. and just to understand uh, the landscape of healthcare over there. And it was a huge city by itself. You know, there are 40,000 doctors, you know, three, four large hotels linked to the hospital. It was fascinating and, uh, and also very expensive. So when I asked him, you know, how much is to build a hospital over there? It was $10,000 a square meter, correct? $1,000 a square foot. So I did the same study in Europe. It was around $8,000 a square meter, which is $800 a square foot. When I came to UAE, it was around $400 to $450 a square foot. And come to India, same thing people are doing in $100 a square foot, correct? So I said, I mean, it's a hospital. It's giving care to the people. Why such a big gap? Again, you'll see is a lot of wastages cutting across every country, you know, and depending on US to Europe to America, I mean, Japan to India. So I said, why don't we standardize this again? So, so what we did was we kept the Cleveland as a model, you know, and completely automized the, the whole healthcare planning itself and started manufacturing hospital out of the factory. Today, same thing what America is doing at $1,000 a square foot is what, what we build in India, my hospital, at $120 a square foot, correct? It's one-tenth right. of the cost. So we brought the cost down on the infrastructure. Second is, it's a tertiary care hospital. So I said, you know, hospital should be used only for surgeries, correct? And you need to create an ecosystem in every town or a district uh, by connecting primary and secondary care hospital to this tertiary care using technology. So what we're doing now is the very interesting model uh, using technology. So we said, this telemedicine, which has come up in this pandemic a lot, is really is a video call. It's not really going to use the doctor to make a decision making mm. uh, for your problem. So we developed this technology with a company in America, uh, and we said we need devices to be assisted uh, to be integrated into this telemedicine, so that using camera technology, you know, which has really progressed quite a bit in the last couple of years. So the doctor, wherever it is, the specialist should be able to see your heartbeat, hear the heartbeat, uh, see your lungs, see your ears, nose, eyes, you know, your skin. Unless and until they have these parameters, you know, shown to the doctor, doctor cannot make a decision. Mm -hmm. So, so this is the first, you know, model we are bringing up into a remote place in India, connecting to a main hospital so that the patients needn't travel four hours to, uh, to a tertiary care hospital for a primary problem or a secondary problem, correct? They can come to a family physician, uh, they can download the app, uh, a hospital is called Mitra Hospital. Okay. And, and in the app, you're connecting many primary doctors, correct? So they can ask the doctor to come to your home. Uh, doctor can do the initial investigation and say, if you want, you have to see a specialist or cardiologist, you come to the spoke there in the same place and you connect this device, telemedicine device with this equipment to the main doctor sitting in, in the city so that he can really see whether he needs to come all the way four hours traveling to a main center. Otherwise, he'll give the medicine over there. He can continue at home, mm. correct? And he can directly connect if there is a problem. 
or you go to a secondary care hospital again certified by us we are managing this hospital in tele icu system correct so the majority of the problem in this in the rural places in the world is they don't have this critical care intensivists especially during pandemic you have seen most of the death happened because people did not know how to manage this icus yeah intensive wow. care units so what we are doing now is we build a huge command center in our main hospital and we train the nurses in the villages and the towns and the districts and we monitor the patient and the monitor of the icu 24/7 and we instruct you know your oxygen level is come down i mean your iv infusion is not right i mean you know everything is continuously monitored and feedback is given to the particular nurse and that is how we are saving lives now mm. uh, and we are offering this to now uh, to oman we are offering this service to now in europe mm. uh, because european uh, again the second wave is coming up in europe and intensivists are very less in the whole of europe now and i think this is a way we are making healthcare accessible to people correct Amazing. and it's fraction of a cost it's fraction of a cost uh and i think unless and until you integrate all this it'll be like a video call correct i mean that's what i always say you know a lot of technologies are coming in but how many are useful to the people is yeah. what the question we need to ask yeah right? so that is the revolution we are making in the healthcare space uh we are launching our first spoke on january 31st in a place called kasal court in, in kerala linking to our main center and after that we want to roll it to the whole world amazing that's amazing so it it, it is a uh, a full offering full service there's the infrastructure the facilities plus the technology so it's it's quite future proof in that respect uh absolutely i want to touch on a little bit uh, about uh how you view emerging markets so some of mar- markets emerging markets don't actually emerge uh, for what whatever reason gdp slows and things like that clearly india as uh, gdp is uh, emerging uh, is very robust and there's a lot of uh, foreign direct investment happening there and there's a lot of emerging middle class uh how do you view uh, the challenges the region the middle east uh and north africa even region faces and do you you had a vision uh many years ago to see what not many people saw in the uae uh would you be hopeful uh, and bullish for the region uh in the same way definitely you know because you know i am a big believer in this part of the world because of the great infrastructure and the visionary leadership you know because every country to move forward because there will be ups and downs in our lives correct but if you have a strong leadership with the larger vision all these things will can be overcome mm. correct so uh uae is one of the best country in my opinion in the world because of many reasons and i think uh if we bring in technology with the people correct we need to integrate these two things correctly you know and that is something which i i think the government has to realize that uh we need to bring down the cost you know and when i came in in 95 it was a very very affordable country you know it it's become very expensive because i think there a lot of wastage it's my view and i may be wrong uh and i think we need to really relook at it and see how we can bring down the healthcare cost down how we can bring down the education cost down you know how do we bring down the food cost down so these are the three pillars mm. correct and and the housing you know and i think we need to relook at this and if you do that 
you know, this place can support Africa, you know, support the rest of the Middle East countries, you know, and we can leverage the knowledge from countries like India uh, and the neighboring countries, correct? Because India has got pool of knowledge of millions of people, you know, which is very closely accessible. And there is something which I'm working on with authorities, with the Indian ambassador, Indian consul general, UAE ambassador of India, you know, all of them. And also because I have some credibility to prove that I've done this, you know, with the German quality, with the Chinese cause uh, in this part of the world. And also I'm revolutionizing healthcare in India. Mm. And it's easy for me to replicate that model in, into UAE. So, so this is what we are looking at. And somebody has to come and show the model. Correct. Uh, and if that has been done, uh, I think people will believe in your vision and, and take it forward. So, so I'm very bullish about uh, this part of the world. Amazing. So talking about uh, Kef Connect and, and the Heroes project that you've launched as a business, uh, you, you yourself Basil, have won many acknowledgements and awards in the region. How do, how do, you, uh, how do you view that in terms of uh, that you yourself are a hero to many people starting out? And how do you look to sort of pass that message and knowledge on? So, so what I believe is, you know, we, we few people are, you know, being talked about in all these Forbes in Arabian business, but there are many, many heroes which is going unnoticed, correct? And if a country to progress and be sustainable, we need to really identify the real heroes which is going unnoticed. You know, okay. that is where we we decided to have this Cap Connect to start as a series of uh, you know pro programs. And, and and during the pandemic time, there are many many people who sacrifice their lives for others. Uh, and it, it's so overwhelming to see this, to hear the stories of these people. You know, and and I think I'm very very passionate uh, about doing this Cap Connect, uh, and because I'm dedicating my life you know, to really support people, you know, who, who can really contribute to the humanity, you know, and that is the vision behind this camp connect. Okay, interesting. And finally, to finish, you mentioned at the start, uh, philanthropy, and, and I know that your wife is very much involved in that. Is that something that you you've envisage you'll be spending more of your time with in the future moving forward? Yes, already, you know, since 2012, you know, if you look at the uh, our business model, you know, if you go to a website, we call it KEF wheel. You know, it's a wheel. Uh, the foundation is in the middle, you know, and all the businesses are on the periphery. So 50% of our time is spent on the foundation because we are talking about, you know, now we are helping government, 151 schools, we are already, you know, managing with the government. Uh, there are 300,000 students our foundation is directly involved with. And this, we are replicating in Africa now, we're also replicating, replicating in other states in India. So, so we are very committed to really take this model, which has worked very well in India to the rest of the world, correct? Because we need to work with the governments, you know, because the government makes the big changes, mm. not the private entrepreneurs, mm. you know. We need to be supporting the government to give our knowledge and experience. And combining these two powers together, we can solve problems for the larger population. Mm. You know? so, so that's what we are working on in our foundation. Same thing on the healthcare. We give a lot of our services free uh, to the people. You know, for our technology is available to the people. For example, this telemedicine, tele-ICU. We don't hide to ourselves, even though it's very, very unique. You know, I mean, we, we go and open this to the world. Okay? Please come and learn. Either you can work with us or you can work on your own. So this is a philosophy. You know, we believe in giving because 
we are, we are all here in a very short time in this part of in the world mm. uh, we cannot take anything when we go away from this world and and we believe uh, and that has to be done while we are living and giving it to the people amazing well thank you so much for sharing i think what what i took out of that is you know one of our mindsets on on smashy is for the driven the dreamers and the doers and it's been inspiring to see uh because i'm sure there was many people who doubted you in the 90s to be able to make a manufacturing global business and i think you've really proven that uh, anyone who has a vision they can do it within the uae and expand globally thank you so thank, thank you. you very much it's been a real pleasure talking to you likewise uh, i'm fascinated by your story and i'm going to check out more of it thanks so much for your time Please. this morning fazal thank all you all the best all the best Thank you. God bless. That's it for another episode of Dubai Works. Thank you so much for listening and please leave a review on the podcast platform that you're listening to. It really helps with organic searches. Also, if you'd like to appear on Dubai Works or know someone who has an inspiring business story in Dubai, please do get in touch on any of the smashy social platforms.